Here we got, we got David Grabner for the UTC Real Estate Club podcast, and we got um, our hosts, Nick Galbraith and Tim Stone, yep. and we're excited to have David here, and I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here, finally doing a podcast in person. It's yeah. exciting. <laughs> it is. Awesome. Well, I guess yeah. just starting off, um, just kind of dive into your life, like how you got started with real estate investing. What, you know, how did it come to mind, and kind of where you okay. are today? Okay, yeah, it's... Um, where I started at was trying to gain financial independence. Mm-hmm. So that was the ultimate goal. Then I realized I wanted financial independence so I could live wherever I wanted to live, work however I wanted to work, and I have to worry about if that pe- if those persons could pay me a sufficient salary. Mm-hmm. So I looked at different ways, okay, investing in the stock market, and it looked like that was going to take forever. And then I looked at real estate and was like, okay, I think that if I'm diligent and I save my money and I invest in real estate, I can get a significant return that then I can generate cash flow and I'll be financially independent. So that's really why I decided real estate was the way to go. It was kind of the quickest way to become financially independent, in my opinion. Yeah. How old were you when you started your journey? Uh, 29. 29? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and where were you at at the time? In the Democratic Republic of Congo. Awesome. So I was working as a hospital administrator. For those of you who don't know, that is in Africa. And I moved over there. I grew up in Africa. I went to high school in Africa. I met my wife. She was also a missionary kid. Um, We went to college together here in Chattanooga. But then we decided to move back um, to the Congo to help at the hospital. So when I was over there working full-time as a hospital administrator, that's when I was like, okay, let me invest in real estate. And I decided to invest back in the Chattanooga area. Mm -hmm. And do you have family located in Chattanooga? Yeah. Yeah, so my father was in Chattanooga, Mm -hmm. and it was very helpful because he also wanted to invest in real estate. Mm -hmm. We have a really good relationship. Um, We trust each other financially. We kind of make the same financial decisions. So it was a good fit. Mm -hmm. And because he was in the area, he could go look at properties. He could manage the properties. And also, we used his salary job to qualify for the loans. Because I was working overseas and they could not count any of my income because they couldn't verify any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so they couldn't work, verify any of my income. So we put all the loans in his name and then we would split the money for the down payment um, mm-hmm. when we were buying the properties. Would you start off with single family, duplexes? We started, we started looking at multifamily was pretty much where I wanted to go right away because I had noticed that, and this is an important why people ask multifamily or whatever you're doing. I noticed was the purchase price in comparison to the rents were a lot better than single family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe if I could buy single family for a hundred thousand, maybe at the time it would rent for 800 a month mm-hmm. or a thousand a month, but a duplex I could get for 80,000. Now this is back in the day, <laughs> a duplex I could get for 80,000 and it would rent for 1300 a month total. So mm-hmm. there was a much better ratio. Um, and that's why I focused on multifamily. The first one we tried to buy was actually a triplex mm-hmm. and we had it under contract and there were some issues and we told the seller that they could get the roof fixed if they asked their insurance and insurance would pay for it. And they did that and then they wouldn't sell it to us. Mm-hmm. Like once the roof was fixed, mm-hmm. they wouldn't then sell it to us, which technically we could have sued them for a performance of the contract or whatever, but we just moved on, let it, let them keep their triplex. Mm-hmm. And then the next one was actually a quadplex that we got. Okay. Very first so time. for the students listening, could you talk about why the, the purchase price to rent ratio is so different in multifamily from single family? Um, so, 
So single family, it's basically basically down to demand. And what is the demand for single family? What's the demand for multifamily? So a single family, the value of it really depends on what your neighbor's house sells for. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really depend on the rent. It's what people think it's worth. What people think it's worth, yep. what people are willing to pay to live in that neighborhood. That's why real estate is so location specific because if you're living in North Shore, you're going to pay a lot more than if you're living in East Lake. Um, it's just the fact of the location. But it's all about the location, what other people are paying for single family. So because of that, people aren't buying them necessarily or normally, not the majority of the competition, isn't buying them with investment in mind. They're mm-hmm. buying them, oh, I'm going to buy and live there for 30 right. years. Exactly. But with multifamily, even if it's small multifamily, it's normally investors, so they're looking at returns. So it's more... Normally, in the normal market, now it's going up now, but normally in a normal market, it is more about how much net operating income that property brings in, and that determines the value. So when you can increase your net operating income, either by increasing your rents or reducing your expenses, you essentially increase the value of your property. Mm-hmm. Now, with duplexes and quadplexes, there's still the element of the market and others are selling for and that and that. but. Normally, in normal times, people are thinking about what type of return these properties can give, and that's how they're making their purchasing decisions, mm-hmm. not just, oh, it's in North Shore, so I'm going to buy it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, do you kind of have some sort of action plan when you go in, let's say on a duplex, to go in and, and increase that income? But what is your action plan towards that and reduce those expenses? Are you you know, installing new units in there, new HVAC units, or... Um, what, what's kind of your action plan along those lines? Yeah, so people have to really be careful when you take over property because you can over-remodel something, mm-hmm. especially if you're used to single family or you like nice things or your house is very nice. So I've seen a lot of investors go in and they make the place really nice, but not realizing that they're in an area that making it that much nicer isn't going to change your clientele. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with the clientele in the area. It's just that they don't value, you know, a dog run or, or whatever, or if it's granite or if it's not granite, it doesn't really matter to them. They're going to pay the same amount of rent. Um, or they might pay a little bit more, but it's not going to you know, increase for the cost. What I try to focus on is getting properties that are being mismanaged or the rents are under market rent substantially. So if I can buy the property and without doing anything to it, I can just say, okay, the rents are low. Now I'm increasing the rents. Yeah. So you look for the management upside. Mostly the management upside. Instead now, of the, yeah. the physical value. Instead of the physical rehab and, and that mm. stuff. Now, I will do cosmetic stuff all the time, you know, mm. paint. It's amazing. Paint floors. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing the difference that, you know, you'll see a lot of old duplexes. They'll paint everything one color, like the trim, the wood, the doors, the walls. Everything's one beige color. Mm. And you just go in there and you paint it gray and white and yep. it just makes it feel like an expensive place yeah, just doing that. That's exactly what we're doing too. Yeah. 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 So, but it's not that expensive, right? Mm-hmm. The gray paint is the same as beige paint, but mm-hmm. just making it just updated, bring yeah. it up to what what's current, what what's people current. think is trendy, exactly, and what they like. exactly, so. and clean. And then most people are are good with that. Mm-hmm. But mostly, I'm looking for just management mistakes, so upside on the management issues. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And how are you kind of locating those properties? Are you going through brokers, or you kind of have a off market deal system? How you kind of going along that route yeah so I mean that's the million dollar question right now everyone's (laughs) looking for deals and there's hardly any duplexes on the market here in Chattanooga right now but I focus heavily Mm -hmm. uh, well maybe I can go back and tell the story how I got here 
we bought our first property from another investor, so we didn't have a, a, an agent there. But our next two properties, we used a buyer's agent. But on the second, well, the third total property, he messed up. And if it wasn't for my insistence and in reaching out directly to the seller, I mean, the seller's agent directly, we never would have got the deal. So when I realized, wait a minute, I re- reached out to the seller's agent directly, got the issue solved, and he said, no, this deal's done, just forget about it. And I was like, okay, he really didn't bring much value to me there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then at the end, there was like a couple hundred dollar discrepancy, and I thought he should take it out of his paycheck because he had messed up anyways. But he was like, no, I'm not taking it out. And so that was the last time I ever used him as a buyer's agent. Mm-hmm. And I just started going straight to listing agents. So if I saw a listing I liked, I'd send an email or I would call, even though I was in the Congo, I would send an email and call, hey, I'm a local investor. I'm looking to get more properties. I'm interested in this property. My business partner, my dad, will come by and see it. Can we schedule a time? Just directly to the listing agent. And what that did is it gave me a network. Even though I was in the Congo, it started giving me a network of local listing agents. So they started bringing me deals before they even listed it. Mm-hmm. So if it didn't even get listed on the MLS, but they knew that I would buy it, they come to me, boom, and we started doing it that way. So when I was overseas, that was my primarily my target. Now I moved back here and I started doing it full time and I just took it to the next level of always going to networking events, networking with a lot of people and just telling people, Hey, I buy multifamily in the area and I've gotten deals from my pest control guy. I've gotten to deals from people that I meet at the meetups, you know, young students, they'll find a property, bring me a deal. Other investors, they'll bring me a deal that they can't close at that particular time. Wholesalers, um, I have two young wholesalers now that work with me, and they find a deal. And if it's a good enough deal, I bring them in as a partner so they don't they forego their fee. And instead of getting their fee, they're becoming actually equity partners. Mm-hmm. And it's great for me because I'm getting good properties, and it's great for them because they're getting in essentially just on their effort. Mm-hmm. They don't have to put any money. I'm bringing all the money. They don't have to, you know, worry about the bank loans. I got that all skit, you know, taken care of. I know mm-hmm. how to manage the properties everything like that but they just got to bring their effort in finding the property mm-hmm. yeah the sweat equity yeah that, that's how a lot of people especially younger people have to get involved because yeah you know you don't, you don't have the money you don't have the the debt to income ratio to be on the mortgage and all that stuff so right it's a, a good way to get started is to bring value to someone to right. it's worth it for them to bring you in on the deal yeah everybody wins and, and for me people ask all the time like there's three areas that i really someone can bring value to me so one is either doing like physical work so sometimes like you know someone has like hands-on skill and they can do painting or maintenance or or whatever um you know some physical work uh two finding the deal so anyone who can bring me a deal that's bringing me value obviously especially if it's an actual good deal Mm -hmm. um and then three is money if someone has a significant amount of money and wants to invest you know, that brings value to my life as well because I can help them by joint venturing with them to buy a property. Mm-hmm. So those are the three main ways. And I'm sure that's very similar to other investors. You know, you know, it's mm-hmm. not like you have to, you know, you know, all the people listening don't have to say, okay, I need to find something for David. It's, no, there's plenty of other good investors in Chattanooga or whatever town you're listening in um, that you might think of partnering up with, but know that you should bring something of value to them and don't ask them, hey, what do you need? Mm-hmm. Just say, hey, I have this to offer would this be a value to you? And if it's one of those three things, it probably it will probably be. probably is value. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Absolutely. And and what, so what what are you doing today? So kind of from when, when did you move back to the States to okay. Chattanooga? So kind of starting there and what have you been doing since? Yeah. All right. You switched to full time and quit yeah. your day job and <laughs> yeah, the, the financial independence you started right. out for. So I had a five year goal of reaching financial independence, which for me, I was saving on like most of my money. I was only making 54000 a year and I was saving most of it and reinvesting it in real estate. Just the old fashioned, save your money, down payment, buy a property. And in about two and a half years, and that was my five-year goal was to reach 30000 in cash flow. And in about two and a half years, I reached that goal. Um, and I was like, okay, now I've reached that goal, and this is super fun. Let's keep going. Um, but at the same time, you know, it had been about like two and a half years, and or almost three years, and my, my father got misdiagnosed um, with uh, a tumor on his liver. And they said he only has like six months to live and it was a horrible situation. Like, okay, I got to do whatever it is. I got to move back to the States because he lived here. I need to be close to him. And fortunately, even though there was like four doctors who misdiagnosed him, finally he went to, to Emory in Atlanta and that doctor's like, no, I'm going to do my own CT scan. I don't trust or my own MRI. I don't trust these other doctors, what they're doing. And then he found out that he didn't have a tumor, but he did have another liver condition. So I decided, you know, I'm going to move back to be closer to my family. Because, um, you know, I'm living all the way over there in Africa. It's quite far away. Yeah. Um, so when I was going to move back, I decided I'm going to do real estate full time because, well, one, I enjoyed it. But two, I knew I would have the flexibility to be there for my dad if I needed to take him to a surgery, to go to the hospital, and live in the same area he's in. If I took another hospital administrator job, it, it could have been here, it could have been in Texas, who knows where I would have actually found mm-hmm. hospital administrator job. So that's what I did, and that was three and a half years ago. Um, I came back, at that point we had 24 units, and now, three and a half years later, we got 170 units and um, three large commercial buildings as well. Started going into commercial buildings as well. So it was quite a big shift um, once I started focusing on it and doing it full time. Um, But it was that base of cash flow that enabled me to do it. Okay. So did you notice that things were going much more quickly once you moved? Oh, yeah. And how much of that factored just because you had the cash flow and the... So I think the biggest, you know, one is, is your focus in life, right? Mm-hmm. If you focus on something, that's when you really start seeing results. You know, doing something just a little bit here and there, just dabbling in something, you never know if you're really going to be successful at it. You, you yeah. can never just say, okay, I'm just going to dabble in this, and if it turns out okay, then I'm going to really go full-time. Like, you know, you either have to be focused or you're not focused. Otherwise, right. it's not going to work. Now, I was focused in making it work when I was in the Congo, but I had a full-time job in the Congo. You know, different time zone. I was limited in what I could do. Yeah. Um, when I came back to the States, I was not limited by all those restrictions. And I was just hyper-focused on it. And I had built up a knowledge base of what I had done. And I had built up a skill set from what we had done. And basically had a resume that I could then build off of. I could take that resume to banks and legitimately go into their commercial lending and be like, yeah, I'm a real estate investor. Now I want to get a commercial loan for 20 units Mm -hmm. where if you're just starting out and you go to a bank and say, I'm a commercial and they're like, okay, what's your experience? Like who's managing the property? Like what, you know, Mm -hmm. there's all those questions, but when you can start telling that story that it just started taking off. Yeah. So it was like a million times easier being here, having the experience, having the money and the, the real estate to prove yourself with. Yeah. Just like 
Does, and was, did it just completely change your whole business? It it did in a way because, like I said, originally it wasn't the plan wasn't to have you know an empire of real estate. It was just to have like financial independence. Yeah. But then I achieved that, and I'm like, okay, now I have to set a new goal, and what am I going to focus on? So it, it really was a big difference. Um, but it was also a big difference because other investors who had money but didn't have time could see what I had done. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to put together deals and then like really scale and realized there was a point when I shifted and realized I remember looking at properties when I was overseas and I would see a property, you know, maybe be 10 units or 20 units or, or whatever it was. And I'd be like, oh man, if one day I could buy that, but I can't buy that now. Right. Mm-hmm. But really, if it was a good deal, I should have just bought it. I should have figured out a way to buy it. Mm-hmm. Because if you have access to a good deal. The money comes. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I know that now. And, you know, I had that moment when I realized that. So now I'm not put off by, oh, it's, you know, $5 million, $10 million, or whatever it is. It's, what does the deal look like? Is it truly a good deal? Now, the bigger the deal doesn't mean it's better. Oftentimes, just a single duplex is a much better, better deal than buying a whole apartment complex um, as far as, you know, your return, your cash on cash return. But, yeah. But if you do have a good apartment complex deal please bring it to me yeah <laughs> i'll figure something out yeah, last night i was talking to kelly at the meetup and she said if you asked everybody in the room who's interested in multifamily everybody would raise their hand and then you say well who invests in multifamily and she'd be like david and jeff will raise their hand and that's it like everybody like they study it they're so interested in it but they think it's too big for them or they're they're afraid to step into it and and just like you said like if it's a good deal, like you, you don't need to be worried about finding the money or whatever. Yeah. Just, just know that it's a good deal and it'll work. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, you do have to spend time researching, right? Mm-hmm. And none of this is complicated. Like, it doesn't take any crazy math. Like, if, you, if you're a college student, you have the, the financial, I mean, you have the mental capability to figure this out. It's nothing mm-hmm. complicated at all. But you do have to put in a little bit of time in research and understanding the principles of it. Mm-hmm. listening to podcasts, getting that education. And I did put that time in, but none of it's hard to grasp. It's all very simple, basic concepts, but you just have to have those down. But don't think that it's so complicated that you're like, oh, I, I need to know everything before I start. Because it's impossible mm-hmm. to know everything before you start right. something. You just, you just need to know enough and then jump in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Awesome. Well, um, I guess we, this is kind of a, a good turning point to kind of go directly towards what you're working on now with um, homeless to homeowner. Okay. Um, kind of starting off with that, and we'll go into it. Yeah, so um, about two years ago, I got contacted by someone who works for the city of Chattanooga, and I was asking for help in placing homeless individuals into my rental properties. Now, I already accept Section 8, and she said, yeah, we're going to you know, help these people who are homeless. And I was like, you know, that sounds like you know, I, I care about the community. Um, I want to do good for me. If, if it works for me where I can make money and house homeless people in a responsible way, you know, there's some higher risks to it. But, yeah, let's do it. So I, I, that's where I started. I started just putting homeless individuals into my homes. And, like, last year we housed... 14 homeless individuals. So the people were homeless and then took them off the street. I mean, some of them two years living in tents, whatever. They come in and they say, oh, man. It's like, I don't have to be afraid of the rain anymore. Like, it just things you don't even think about. He's like, I don't have to be afraid of the rain anymore. And just, I have a place. And 
So, and that's been a good experience. I mean, some people slip back and some people aren't the best tenants, but you know, that's going to be the case everywhere. So I really enjoyed helping the homeless people that way. But I started thinking, wouldn't it be nice if I could figure out a way to take these homeless people from just being homeless to actually owning a home? Because there's a power generationally when you own a home. There's so much more benefits. When you look at the divide in this country about success and failure, oftentimes it boils down to did the parents own a home? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, and it more significantly impacts sometimes you know certain races. But really, when you look down to it, it it's more economic and a lot of it stems from home ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was trying to figure out a way to impact that. And what I stumbled across is the city of Chattanooga and other cities as well have this. They have a landlord re- renovation program where the city of Chattanooga will pay half of the renovation costs if you promise to rent to low income individuals for at least um, seven years. Hmm. And so I was like, okay, so there's that money there. I can use that. And then I found another program. It's called the FSS program. And it's, it's also run by the Chattanooga Housing Authority where people who are on Section 8 can apply for this program and it teaches them how to be every quarter they meet and they learn about financial literacy and how to improve their credit score so that they can become um, able to buy a home. So, okay, there's, so there's that program. And if they enroll in that program, then at the end of it, when they graduate, then they can have the possibility of buying a home and Section 8 can start paying for their mortgage instead of paying for their rent. Yeah. And sometimes it's even cheaper to pay yeah, for yeah, the mortgage. Yeah. 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 Um, but only 20, when I called and, and talked to the Chattanooga Housing Authority, only 27 individuals in Chattanooga, and there's about, I think, like 3,000 who are on Section 8. Well, only 27 were taking advantage of that, you know, that homeowner program. program. That's going to yeah. help them yeah. build wealth long term yeah, and, exactly. and change the So I decided, generation. okay, I'm going to buy single-family homes that need work, fix them up, rent them to homeless people who have a Section 8 voucher, who then I'll require them to enroll in the FSS program, and then after they've gone through all of that, you know, maybe it's a year, two years down the road when they're ready to buy a home, I would let them buy the same home that they're living in. Of course, they can go buy another one, but if they want to, it's really easy because, you know, they're homeless. They can't even think about owning a home or how they buy a home. So just trying to make it as easy, the whole process as it can be. So as of right now, I only have the one house, but I need to get nine more because my goal is to get 10 of those homes by the end of this year. Um, and I have one um, wonderful um, formerly homeless lady who's in there and she's got three kids and um, I mean she's loving it she's so excited about the program and you know I hope that she's able to go all the way but even if not at least she will have a nice wonderful place that to live and mm-hmm. I'm buying it it's not the most profitable thing like I said earlier that multifamily is more profitable um, it's not the most profitable thing that I can do with my investments but it is making a difference, and I hope that if I can do this and I can show it works, that other people can also look to replicate it mm-hmm. in their cities um, to try to combat homelessness. Because really, landlords are often um, villainized mm-hmm. as like as like these leeches on society who aren't doing anything, who are just causing all these issues. They're slumlords, what, what, what. But really, it's the partnership between the city and the landlords that are we going to solve this homeless issue? You know, you can just make it completely, okay, we just have to let the city just solve it on their own. No, you, they need partnership with the landlords because we help provide the service, which is mm-hmm. good 
safe housing. Of course, there's bad landlords out there who give us a bad name, but most of us, all the ones that I've met at the meetups, you know, mm. are good people who want to help. Right. It's mm. awesome. <laughs> And, and where are you looking for um, these houses? Any particular areas in Chattanooga so our listeners yeah. can... Uh, yeah, so I'm looking for any any single, like, three-bedroom home, and it's hard. You know, that's why I need to find some more, But and I got one. But any within the city of Chattanooga limits, so it has to be in the city of Chattanooga limits. Um, but it can be, you know, further out, like, you know, near Hamilton Place. I mean, that happens to be actually... There's some pockets over there, like Shepherd Hills and stuff like that that are good. Um, but, yeah... Anywhere around Chattanooga, single-family home, three-bedroom, one-bath, or whatever, for around a hundred thousand. Um, I do stay away from the rough, rough areas. So, like, I'm not in East Lake, for example, um, um, or any other rougher areas, because I want it to be a good, safe place for these kids to grow up as well. Right? And that's the beauty of the Section Eight voucher program: is that people don't have to live in the roughest area of town. They can take that voucher and they can go live by the river if they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can go live in the, a better school district. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but because it's a city of Chattanooga program, it does have to be within the Chattanooga city, city limits. limits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though most of my rental properties, I prefer them to be out of the city limits because mm-hmm. then I only pay county taxes instead of city taxes. Yeah. And I save a lot of money that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so I guess kind of diving into your commercial project that you're working yeah. on now. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So multifamily is great, like I've been saying. But then I started noticing that it was harder to find large multifamily properties. And I should say I manage all my properties. So mm-hmm. all my properties are here in Chattanooga area. And it makes it easier for me to manage since they're nearby. But then I started buying or looking into commercial properties I was like, okay, these are easier to manage and they don't have to be right next to me because it takes so much less management. I don't have to be there checking on tenants and da-da-da-da because the tenants take care of a lot of stuff themselves. Um, and then it became more difficult, especially since COVID, to buy multifamily at a good price. The price for multifamily, especially larger packages, has just been going through the roof and the de- supply is just not there. Like there's, there's no good large multifamily properties for sale right now in Chattanooga. Nothing. Nothing. There was a, a hundred unit, only 101 units, something like that, a hundred unit uh, complex that went for sale, but it was like done silently and you had to submit the bids to the judge and the judge would make the decision. It wasn't even listed anywhere. Really? But through my connections, I heard about it and I bid on it, but someone from California came and bid a million dollars more than my bid. Wow. Yeah. And I thought my bid was, I was like, eh, it's kind of high, but you know, there's nothing else for sale. But yeah. And so they came in a million more. Um, so there's just not that supply right now. Mm-hmm. So then I started looking towards commercial properties and I didn't really have experience, but I'm just applying the same principles of how much money I have to put in, what kind of return I can get, um, and trying to make sure I get good properties that are going to weather whatever might come. You know, the pandemic really opened our eyes to the dangers of commercial properties, mm-hmm. especially if you're a hotel yeah. um, right now. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, that's definitely, that hurt a lot of people. I mean, student housing probably yeah. is also something that someone thought, oh, student housing is solid all the time. Right. Never, never have a problem with student housing. And then all of a sudden, and then all school of a sudden, is online. Right, exactly. <laughs> school is online, COVID. So, um, you know, we never know. But so I'm looking for commercial properties that have like grocery or like um, 
pharmacy anchored properties. Mm-hmm. So I have a property in Cleveland that has a gym and, a, and the CVS pharmacy and some uh, Pizza Hut and Subway and stuff. Um, so like those things did well through the pandemic and I assume they will continue to do well because they're not going to be really impacted by Amazon. Like you can't like, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So those did well. So I, I looked for another one of those and I got a, a Kroger anchored center out near Memphis, Tennessee. It's small town of Oakland, Tennessee, which is just like this um, affluent pocket outside of Memphis where all the money's just leaving Memphis and just moving mm-hmm. there. Um, but it's Kroger, and then it's got like a, a doctor's office in there and a Papa John's and some other stuff, high-end pet food store. Um, but so it was really solid because it has the Kroger that anchors it and it's doing really well and that Kroger's not going anywhere. So I feel mm-hmm. like it's a safe purchase. But because of the pandemic lenders really like dried up on lending on commercial stuff because mm-hmm. they got spooked mm-hmm. so there wasn't as much um ability for buyers to buy those type of properties so actually the price on those type of properties went, went down. down so now it's like okay so commercial has gone down multifamilies go up let me start trying to buy uh commercial properties if they're good and so that that's when i i got that kroger and then i'm also there's an office building in Cleveland um, that I have under contract. And, um, yeah, that that will be a good one. We'll see. I mean, it's under contract, so it hasn't closed yet. But um, its office building is kind of sketchy in a way, but it does have good tenants that I feel are going to do well, and they have done well through the whole pandemic, and, you know, no issues with pain. So that bodes well for the future. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of crazy looking at all the other bigger markets like New York City, like what's happening in office spaces. And you, you know, come to Chattanooga. Do you think there's a, you know, big um, kind of advantage with Chattanooga? Because it is smaller. So kind of office spaces still having a lot of, um, you know, um, opportunity and benefits from being in a smaller area like Chattanooga. Yeah. So there is some <clears throat> there's some thought out there and probably some truth to it that. Even when bad times come, when the market corrects, Chattanooga is not going to be as impacted Mm -hmm. because our prices aren't so super high. And more importantly, we have an influx of population. Mm -hmm. So we have more people coming into this area and the building's not keeping up. So we still are going to have this imbalance of supply and demand, even no matter what happens in the national Mm -hmm. uh, market. So, but... Real estate is very, very specific. I mean, I can show you buildings that have been sitting for two years looking for a tenant or to be sold even in the hot Chattanooga. And they haven't because it's just very specific. Like, um, so I live out in Ottawa and there's like this bank by the Walmart. Like it used to be this nice fancy bank, but it's been sitting for sale for two years and no one has bought it mm-hmm. because it's a bank building. What are you going to do with it? So imagine you own that building. You had a tenant who's a bank that you think, oh, this is solid. Mm-hmm. And then they go out of business and now you're stuck. And that person, the owner of that building has been stuck for at least two years. I've seen it listed for sale. Mm-hmm. Not making any money in this big bank building sitting next to the Walmart. Because you have to find a bank to go. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I have heard of a, a cool um, uh, renovation. It's actually one of my friends, his dad owns uh, Cole. No, it's um, Prey Chiropractic out in um, Dalton, Georgia. Okay. And he took a bank and took the vault in the bank and turned it into an x-ray room. <laughs> because they could, like, right, the, the yeah. radiation. So, yeah, I thought that was super cool. I've been to a restaurant that has a vault in it before. Yeah. That's pretty cool. But yeah, I know that building that the restaurant is in now had been passed around like six times in just a few years because people thought they could do something cool with it and they couldn't. Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah, it's very, like, super hyper-location specific. Like, you can just mm-hmm. be on the wrong side of the highway and no one wants to buy those properties. I mean, even if you think of, like, um, Hamilton Place, like, the other side of the highway from Hamilton Place isn't as popular as that side of the highway on Hamilton Place, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's, it's just crazy. It's just, like, very that location-specific. So you do have to be very careful with, and that's the danger with commercial, right? You have to be careful because your your vacancies can last so long. Mm-hmm. You have to, you know, it's so area specific. Mm-hmm. With multifamily, I can always find a tenant. Right, people are moving at the first of the month at least. Yeah, sometimes during the middle yeah, of the I can whenever. always find a tenant. Worst case scenario, I have to lower the price, but I will find a tenant mm-hmm. if I'm in. Now, this is some. If you're going to invest in areas that have a declining population, that's another story. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, if you get a declining population, you yeah, you could have property and buy it cheap, but then are you going to have a tenant because you know your area population declining by ten percent a year? Mm-hmm. But that's not happening in Chattanooga. That's not happening in Chattanooga. No, like, like I'll, I'll post a listing and in a week it'll get five or seven thousand views. Yes, which means there's five to seven thousand people any given week mm-hmm. looking for a place to live in Chattanooga. Yep. So it's yeah ridiculous. Yes, very so. Yeah. And uh, kind of diving into, you know, with you managing your own properties, you making offers on deals, um, kind of reverting back to focusing on, you know, your one goal. How does how does that look in your everyday life? Like, you know, with managing all these properties and making offers, how do you, you know, how do you stay focused on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On there's a lot goal? of things that going on in my mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have obviously, I mean, everyone, you need to write your goals down, like first step, like write them down and have a plan to get them. So I have them specifically down so I know and I, and I, keep reminding myself on them but my day-to-day can be very um varied let me just say that you know you know i might be dealing with a call about a clogged toilet i might be negotiating with a reit and on a huge commercial property i might be calling the bank i might be and i'm doing my own accounting so i might be doing my accounting that day or paying the bills or and then i might be fielding calls or getting text messages from other people who have some deals that i'm networking with so it's it's very Varied, I guess I should say. Um, it's it's kind of all over the place, but I'm I'm working on really just focusing on the things that I like to do, mm-hmm. and and pushing those other things off onto other plates. Now you know I'm in, I'm at that point now. A lot of you know there is some truth to like be working on your business instead of in your business, but too many people take that too literally and too soon, mm-hmm. and they want everything to be automated. They want everything to someone else to be doing it and like I'm just going to make money but like what value are you adding like if you're from day one everything is just run out of your business and it has nothing to do with you like what value are you adding why are you making money like pretty soon you won't be if you're not adding value so you need to start by being involved and understanding what you're doing you don't have to be painting the units yourself but you should be you know understanding all of it and then you can take yourself out of certain parts that you don't enjoy and that either you can either be done cheaply or someone can do them better than you and then you can just like start doing more of what you enjoy and for me I enjoy um, putting deals together I think that's my favorite part of it is when I find a deal and I figure out how I'm going to buy it and getting the money together and talking to the banks and the seller and negotiating and, and then buying it and then like Oh, that was fun. No, okay, I need to go buy another one. <laughs> yeah. is, is there is there a point that you've determined and laid out where, like, once I get to this level, I'm going to hire someone to do my accounting or I'm going to have someone take over the phones for me to where you can focus on 
just creating the deals and talking to the banks and finding them? Yeah, I mean, more more so now it's about because people think it's so much. They must think they think I'm like super crazy, busy all the time. But it's not really that case. Like people make things more complicated than they need to be. The accounting of you know I'm doing. I mean, not including my other real estate deals. I mean, commercial that I just got. But like, so last year I did about um, two million in revenue in my business. But it only takes me one day a month to do my accounting. Mm. It's really not that much. And yeah, yeah maybe it's like, um, so I have a skill set, obviously, that I'm able to do that. But then I think about, okay, if I'm going to hire this out, I'm going to pay somebody. Are they save gonna, you one day. Save me one day a month? Yeah. Like in actual work time? You know, okay, maybe I'll get to that point. But right now, I would need to find someone who could do more than just accounting because someone's not going to want to work for just one day a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. So it, it is kind of difficult, but really, what I've I've determined to push more off is the maintenance side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so pushing off more of the maintenance, so I'm less involved in the maintenance of it. Um, and then I have some other people who are working with me doing like the listings and the showings. So because that takes a lot of time, and I took that off my plate, so I don't have to drive around and show any properties anymore. They take care mm-hmm. of all of that. They're doing an amazing job with that. I'm super happy with them. Um, and then the accounting. I'll see when that gets off my plate, but I don't have a set like, oh, if I achieve this, I'll do that. The next year, I probably will take more vacations and spend more time with family, you know, just because I've reached a point where it doesn't really matter, you know, to get, I don't need to, I don't need to buy any more properties in my life. I'd be completely fine. Like as far mm-hmm. as a financial standpoint. Yeah. Um, so then there's, you know, the value of spending time with family, but I also do enjoy doing it. So I, I, I got to balance that. Like how... Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not, not gonna I'm, stop. I'm not gonna just retire. I don't think I yeah. could. But I'm also not obsessed with it. That I'm gonna say I have to, you know, sacrifice family. Right, time. sacrifice family time to just grow this mm-hmm. because it's scary. Once you start going, you realize how fast this grows. Like, you know, I thought when I was buying something, you know, I bought a first quadplex for 125 thousand. Like, oh wow, 125 thousand, and now I'm buying stuff for like six million, and like mm-hmm. pretty soon, like. There's a trajectory like, you know, I could be up to several several hundred million worth of property in just a few years. Mm-hmm. Like if that's the road I want to go and if I want to be really honed in on it, and it's like, well, that's kind of crazy to step back and be like, that's a huge number. But that's what would happen if you just solely focused on it mm-hmm. and keep growing it. Yeah. So just having your aspects of life and say, you know, kind of hone back on the, the acquisition part and say, I need to spend more time with my family. I need to kind of um, just take a step back. And that's something um, I think I've been really working on is kind of taking back with school and everything going on. Um, just kind of taking a step back and figuring out where I need to spend more time and just kind of be equalized or yeah, just kind of, you know, be good mentally. Yeah, and stuff like that, and um, kind of transition to the advice for students. Like with when you mentioning writing down your goals, um, what advice would you have for our members and the listeners out there for writing down your goals and coming back to them? Um, yeah, and how do you kind of? So for for young students out there, uh, my advice is yes, it can be difficult though. I mean, I remember when I was a student to really know where you want to be in life, and that's fine. You don't have to figure that out while you're young. But what you do need to do is you need to take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of you. Too many young people don't fully engage themselves into their opportunities that they have, whether that's at school, 
taking advantage of the school. And, you know, not only schoolwork. School is not just about schoolwork. There's networking to be had. I mean, there's future billionaires here at UTC, right? Like, mm-hmm. so you would be good to get connections with them. Yeah. Um, and even if they don't become billionaires, there are other aspects that you probably would help each other out. So there's networking opportunities, there's school opportunities, and then there's work opportunities. And too, too often young people, oh, it's just a job. But nothing is just a job because you can learn any, every, you can learn something from no matter what job it is. Like, honestly, I would probably learn something if I go work at Chick-fil-A because I, they work that place awesome. Like, I would probably learn a lot by just going and working at Chick-fil-A. Um, and if you, if you see that and if you take whatever opportunity you have and you take the, the gems out of whatever situation it is, I don't care if you're working as a janitor or wherever you are, that really will set you up for success in life. You know, when I got out of college, I couldn't find a job and I started working as an insurance agent. And I was driving around all over Chattanooga selling life insurance to mostly elderly and poor people like here have like a life insurance quality of like 5,000 and like a Medicare supplement. But I was driving all over Chattanooga and I was then learning zip codes. I was learning areas. So when I was over in Africa, it was easy for me to picture, okay, where this property is, is a good area, is a bad area because I had all the information already. And I didn't know it at the time, but I took that. And also, I gained over-the-phone skills, which I still use today. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what you're doing as long as you, you hold it and you can apply it to the next stage in life. Mm-hmm. And sort of what you were saying is something that I've said a lot uh, as I've been here at college is how much we pay to go to college. You need to take advantage of yeah. every dollar worth of value that the school provides because the school does – I mean, there, there's so many people at the school that want – you to succeed and they want to help you and they'll do everything they can and I feel like a lot of people are just not taking advantage of it because they come they, you know they pay their money they go to class and do their homework and party but like I mean the people that I'm working with now and we're up to we've got 48 units and we're partners on another 40 so that'd be 88 units and I met them through internship coordinator at the school like that that would have never happened if I wasn't seeking opportunity that the school is going to provide me with that they wanted to help me out with. Right. And, and like you are paying for those opportunities by coming to college. Exactly. And a lot of people don't, don't care about it. The problem is that the the parents are paying for it. (laughs) Yeah. See, I I am paying for my college. So I was like, I am not going to get ripped off. I'm going to suck every dollar of value out of this university. Yeah. It's probably the difference. I mean, I paid for my own college too. I worked, I worked 40 hours a week. While I was in college, I worked mm-hmm. about um, 20 hours or 20 or 30 hours um, as a framer in construction. Once again, that helped me become the DIY landlord, you know, like because I was building you a had skill, the skills. Right? Yeah. Um, but so I was working as a framer and then I was working in the dorm as uh, an RA um, as well. So, so combined, and the RA, you know, I was working, but I could do my homework and stuff like that. But combined, I was working 40 hours a week, going to school full time. Mm-hmm. But you know, I was paying for it myself, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, I gotta make the money. I gotta learn the work side of it. But then also, I was still able to do great in school and take advantage of the classes. I could have done better in retrospect in networking because I was working so much and I was on mm-hmm. school, and I was focused on my girlfriend who became my wife. So I guess that was important too. But yeah. uh, <laughs> I could have done better. She would say so. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, so that that was wonderful, but. I could have done better in the networking aspect of, mm-hmm. of what school offers. And I think that's been the, the beauty of um, 
go along the journey of starting the UTC Real Estate Club about how many amazing people, just like yourself, if we get the opportunity to connect with and just really build this thing from the ground up. And uh, once uh, me, Chase, and Cole started Tim, you know, he was one of the first guys in line to say, hey, I'm, I'm helping you guys out with this. We're growing this thing. And um, it's been really cool to see what it's transformed in a day. Yeah. And so many people want to help. But almost everybody that we've reached out to to, like, ask to come speak or just be involved with the club, they all say yes because they want to, you know, pour value into the students and, you know, they enjoy it and it's something that makes them happy. And Yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it's a great thing that you guys are doing. Obviously, real estate is an amazing entrepreneurial opportunity. So if you have that entrepreneurial mindset, oftentimes, you know, you think, oh, what am I going to do? Well, real estate's a pretty easy entrepreneurial way to make money that's you know, lots of people have done it before, but you can still do it. You, know, mm-hmm. you don't have to reinvent. You don't have to come up with a brand new business. You don't have to create the app. I mean, I know that's all flash and everything, but it's like, really, if you really want to do it, anyone can do it. Yeah. 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 And um, any kind of uh, resources, resources, um, educational um, programs that you know, our members and listeners can go check out that you would recommend? Yeah, uh, Bigger Pockets is one of the, the better ones. It's you know, biggerpockets.com. It's got a website. You can go on any of the forums. You can reach out to investors and local investors. We have a meetup. Um, they also have a podcast over there as well um, that has some, some good information on it. So that's what I used when I got started, even though I was in, like I said, in Africa, but I was listening to the Bigger Pockets podcast. Mm. And even like the Facebook group and Bigger Pockets, mm-hmm. it's got that networking aspect. Mm-hmm. You can ask any questions and yeah. along the way. Yeah. And exactly. Like I know you guys come to and, and anyone else who wanted to, you know, we have meetups where you can sit down and talk with legitimate real estate investors in your local area and you can ask anything. Like mm-hmm. I was there last night and yeah. Me too. And anyone could come and they say, hey, what about this? What about that? And it's a good group here. And you'll find that I'm sure it's the same in any city, but in Chattanooga especially, like it's a good group of real estate investors. We're all looking to help each other. No one is, no one is like, oh, I got to hide my secret sauce. Because the truth is someone who's starting, you can, as a real estate investor, I can point back and say, okay, this is how I started. This is how you did that. But that person who's starting is not competing with me on the $5 million Kroger deal. Right. And they're not right. buying the 100-unit right. apartment. Right. They're exactly. not the people that bid a million dollars over uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, weren't, they weren't there at that yeah. time. And even if, if, even if those people were there, well, great, because then now I know who to sell to. Yeah. Right? <laughs> exactly. So there's always benefit both ways. Um, but yeah, especially starting out everyone's going to be happy to help out if you go to one of those meetups and you can ask any questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely agree. That's definitely what I've seen as I've just started getting into real estate in the last two years. Yeah. Absolutely. And I guess kind of just wrapping it up, um, I guess a, a top three of your favorite books that, um, that you've read here in the past. Okay. Recommend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, I should have had it written down, but The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Eker. It's by T. Harv Eker. If you put that in Google, it, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, T. Harv Eker. It's a small book uh, about how our mind and money works because we all have uh, preconceived ideas about money and whether it's good or bad or how it should be used. So that little book just really helps free up your mind of, of those little hang-ups. Um, then Never Split, the, Never Split the Difference by Chris mm-hmm. Voss. 
about negotiation. I mean, that is an amazing book that's made me hundreds of thousands of dollars just with the negotiation tactics. I actually need to go back and read it again. I've read it a couple of times, but time to read it again because it's, it's that good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then The Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. If you want like a basic, these are the core aspects of real estate, that's a great way to start. Um, I found that book to be very good, basic, solid advice. Not going to teach you any crazy schemes or anything, but just like, here's the basic, solid advice. Uh, so those are my three books that I would say. Awesome. And is there any last things that you want to you wanna say to our members or the viewers out there that any, any advice that you'd give or um, your favorite quotes or anything like that? Oh, I don't know if I have any favorite quotes, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I say this all the time is you do, I don't think I'm smarter than anyone else or I think anyone can do this. You just have to be um, courageous and determined. Mm-hmm. If you have the courage and you have the determination, you can do anything that you set your mind to and that you write down as a goal. Awesome. Yeah. And follow me on Instagram at DIY underscore landlord yep. to get some tips. Do you think that'd be the best way for somebody to contact you? Yes, it, it definitely is. If, okay. if you go there on my Instagram page and send me a, a message... I, I try to reply to all the messages I get, um, and then I'll be like, yeah, let's go meet up at one of the local meetups and everything like that. But yeah, that's a good place to start. Um, but if you're going to message me and you have a question, make it like a good question, not just like, how do I get started in real estate? Yeah. You know, right? <laughs> like a good specific question. I love those. Like if it's a good specific question, even if it's about a property, like I have this problem with this property, like a good specific question, like that gets me like, oh yeah, let me help answer this question. But like mm. a boring generic question, I'm like, oh, not again. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today, David. Yeah, thank really you. Thank you. Uh, this was lots of fun. Yeah. Uh, the first UTC Real Estate Club podcast in the books right here. Yeah. The first guest. <laughs> All right. 